Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Let's pray to God. Lord, thank you so much for not only being the author of this book, but to being the active teacher of this book to us now. And we come, Lord, to you as students ready to learn from our God. So teach us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Genesis 21, and the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. And Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old as God had commanded him. And Abraham was a 100 years old, when his son Isaac was born unto him. And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh, so that all that hear will laugh with me. And she said, who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should have given children suck? For I born him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. Wherefore, she said unto Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. So, so far in our study, what we've done is we've seen here in verse 1 how God visited Sarah and did to her as he had promised, and made her to give birth to this son, to Isaac, in Abraham's old age. And we saw how this was a miraculous birth, and it was just exactly in line with what God had promised at the exact time, and it was emphasized with these words at the set time. And so in verse 2, we saw the focus was on Sarah, as it says there, Sarah conceived, she bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time which God had spoken to him. So in verse two, the spotlight is on Sarah the wife who has just given birth. And now the spotlight changes and switches to Abraham where in verse three we read, and Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac. So it's as if Abraham is handed the baby, he's holding him there for the first time, and the question is posed to Abraham, and what shall be the baby's name? (laughs) And in verse three, this is like this decision that Abraham makes there. And so he says in verse three, Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac. Now notice how verse three shows what really impressed Abraham. First, this was the son that was born unto him. 
But Ishmael was also his son that was born unto him. So next comes what made this son really his son, and it was this was his son that was born unto him, as it says in verse 3, whom Sarah bare to him. So there's the emphasis right there, Sarah. Abraham was not married to Hagar. Abraham should not have had the son with Hagar. We already went through that painful history. We don't need to redo that one again. So Abraham looks at Isaac, and he says to himself, this is the son that's born to me, whom Sarah bare to me. And we can just see that Abraham is saying to himself, you know, way back when we were in Ur of the Chaldees, before I even knew God, before I even heard God call me out, Sarah and I were married. We were married then. And then after that, God found me, and I came to know God, and then, but I was already married. I was already married to Sarah. And I learned through that and thinking about that, that God was the author of my marriage with Sarah, even though I was married to Sarah before I knew God. My marriage to Sarah was threatened several times, he would say, by having a child with Hagar. My marriage to Sarah was threatened when through a lie, I surrendered Sarah to become Pharaoh's wife. When my marriage to Sarah was threatened, when I, through the same lie, surrendered her to become Abimelech's wife. But God, who was the author of my marriage in the first place, before I knew God, back in Ur of the Chaldees, he stepped in. And so many times, he protected my marriage to Sarah. And he preserved my marriage with Sarah. And so when we read in verse 5, those five words there where it says, and Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, to whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac. Very important words. And we can see Abraham looking at Sarah and with this renewed understanding that God was the author of their marriage together and God was the protector and the preserver of their marriage to each other. And so when we look at those words, it's a reminder to us. What is it a reminder to us? It's a reminder to us of Malachi 2.16. The Lord God of the Lord For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away. God hates divorce. And so when we see Abraham, that when he names his son Isaac, he's making several statements. First, Abraham has chosen to obey God. No one had ever been named Isaac before. It's not a usual name. It's a strange name. You know, it's not like Fred or Arnie. You know, he could have named him, or Mort, <laughs> or Barry, you know, it's not those kind of names. It's a very strange name, because the name means laughter. I mean, you know, we say Isaac, okay, it's very familiar to us, lots of Isaacs, you know, around, okay, now it's become familiar. But just picture it in the, today, in the English, so you have a baby, and someone says, so what are you going to name your baby? I'm saying, I'm going to name him Laughter, you know, so you like, really, you're going to name your baby Laughter? <laughs> Why do you name your baby Laughter, you know, because you're going out of your mind or whatnot. And so such a cute boy, what's his name? His name is Laughter, you know. Laughter. Why is he named Laughter? Because that's exactly what God had in mind. He wanted people to ask Abraham, why did you name your baby Laughter? You know, in the Hebrew, as we know, the laughter, the word is Yitzhak, you know, Yitzhak. It's almost like onomatopoeic or whatever that name is. You know, it sounds like laughing, you know, Yitzhak, 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 you know. <laughs> it's like that, you know. So people ask, why is this boy named Laughter? Why do you name him Laughter? 
And the answer would be, I'm so glad you asked, <laughs> Abraham would say, because I want to tell you all about how impossible it was for us to have this child. It's so important, I tell you this, that because it was so impossible, I mean, I was 100 years old, my wife was 90 years old, and when God first told us that we're gonna have a baby, my wife led the way with the laughter inside herself. And so every time we call this boy's name laughter, it reminds us of the truth that God responded to us with after he knew about the laughter, which was Genesis 18, 14, where God said, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? It reminds us there's nothing too hard for God. And so I love this baby's name, Abraham would say. I love this baby's name of laughter, Isaac, because when I come against what looks like an impossible problem, and I look at the problem, and I say, that's nothing compared to the problem that God overcame in making us have a baby. And so I say the boy's name, laughter. And so when the Lord Jesus Christ was speaking in Matthew 19, 26, it says that, but he beheld them and said unto them, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So he's calling back the concept behind this naming the boy laughter. Charles Wesley was so impressed with this, he wrote this poem, Faith, Mighty Faith, the promise sees and looks to God alone and laughs at impossibilities and cries it shall be done. So the boy's name, Laughter, is really an invitation that's a setup. You know? It's God given the setup to ask the question and through the answer, through the learn more about God, to bring the knowledge of God, and so God loves to do the setups. He loves to stimulate this curiosity. He loves to use names to send out an invitation. Just ask me why, you know? For example, you think of the name of Moses. Moses, which is Egyptian for from the water. What's your name? My name is from the water. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> nice to meet you from the water. <laughs> so, why? From the, what are you, a fish? I mean, you know, are you from the water. Why are you named from the water? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. I thought you'd never ask. Anyway, because I was helpless. I was as helpless as a baby boy floating down the crocodile-infested waters of the Nile. I was as helpless floating in the Nile where baby boys of my people were drowned face down floating in the water. They'd been flung there by the Egyptians. And God used an Egyptian princess to save me from the water. But really it was God who saved me from the water. God has saved me from many waters in my life. Boy, could Moses say that. And that's why I love my name, Moses, from the water. You think of the name Israel, which means Prince of God. So what's your name? Prince of God. Well, it sounds kind of arrogant, you know. I'm Prince of God. <laughs> why do you mean Prince of God? No, no. Why are you called Prince of God? Because one night, well, I'm glad you asked, because one night was the darkest night of my life. I thought it was going to be the last light, the last night of my life. And my brother Esau, who hated me, was coming after me with 400 men to kill me. 
And I was left alone that night, and God, in the form of a man, he met me, and he wrestled with me. I wrestled with God all night long, and I started out that wrestling, really fighting hard. I had put everything I had into it. I was going to fight against God. And then God put his finger on my thigh, put it out of joint, and at that moment, I became so helpless that all I could do, I couldn't fight anymore, so all I could do, because I couldn't stand, was just use my hands and cling to him. And I said to him, I won't let you go unless you bless me. And at that moment, at that point in my greatest weakness, in my strongest clinging to God, God said, all right now, now you're a prince. You're a prince of God, and he names me Israel, prince of God. I love my name Israel because when I get discouraged, when I'm weak, now my name reminds me. And it reminds us of 2 Corinthians 12.10 where Paul says, really an Israel type of confession, therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, like having my hip out of joint, in reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. So the principle is that God uses names to generate a question in the law so they can learn more about God. God uses names to set up people to ask the question. And God knows this is the best way to bring the knowledge of God to someone is to get them to ask a question. And that's why God gave people these strange names like Isaac, like laughter, so that a question be asked and then the knowledge of God could be taught, could be brought. And just consider how often the Lord Jesus Christ made these strange statements that were designed as the setup. They were the setup to get the person to ask a question. In Jehovah Jesus, as he did in Exodus 13, 24, when he told the families of the Jewish people, this is what you have to do. You set apart unto the Lord every animal that opens the matrix, every firstling that cometh of a beast which thou hast, the males shall be the Lord's. And every firstling of an ass, of a donkey, thou shalt redeem with the lamb. And if thou wilt not redeem it, then you break his neck. And all the firstborn of man among children shall thou redeem. And so this is a very strange practice. You know, you got a donkey that's born, and you take this beautiful, nice lamb, and then you're the firstborn donkey, and then you kill the lamb so the donkey can live. And if you don't, you kill the donkey. I mean, that's going to generate some questions in your kids because they're going to grow up and say, my parents are strange. And so, <laughs> and, you know, it's, gonna, it's a setup. And so then the next verse in Exodus 13, 14 says, and it shall be when thy son asketh in time to come, saying, what's this? That thou shalt say unto him, by strength of hand, the Lord brought us out from Egypt from the house of bondage. God led the Jewish people to separate the animals and ritual of redeeming and so forth. It was all done so that the kid would ask the question, why are you killing the nice lamb for the donkey? And that question would be the opportunity for them to explain and say, we're like the donkey. <laughs> we're like the donkey, and God saved us out of Egypt, and lambs died on Passover night, and one day the lamb of God is gonna come as a man, and he'll come and he'll die for our sins. He'll take away the sins, and we're the donkeys that were saved by the lambs. So God gives these names to people and these rituals, all the setups to generate questions. So a question be asking his opportunity to teach. And when he comes to earth as the Lord Jesus Christ, he continues to practice, continues it over. Because when a person asks a question, they open up, right? They open up for the answer. They open up. And he knows this. You can't teach a person who's closed. 
You need to get them a little open, and then you can, you know, bring the knowledge of God. Like my cousin, my cousin is absolutely closed to hearing about the Lord Jesus Christ. Nicodemus, I mean, here's a man that he's that's come at a great risk to himself to have this secret meeting with him. And it says in John 3, 2 through 4, Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answers and says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's a very strange thing to say, you know, except a man be born the second time, you know, and that's all he said. And it was a setup. And so then Nicodemus saith unto him, how can a man be born again? How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And it worked, see? The setup worked. Or as he did this very strange thing by asking this detested Samaritan woman to give him some water in John 4, 7 through 9. It cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away in the city by meat. Then the saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? The Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. He did something strange, elucid the question, bring out the question. It worked. And then she was open now for the answer. And then he says something even more strange to her as he goes on. And again, it's designed to generate another question. And now he starts talking about a secret gift of God. That's something called living water. He says in John 4.10, Jesus answered, said unto her, if thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, give me to drink, thou hast asked of him and he would have given thee living water. And it worked, it worked. And so she asked the question because her heart is now open and enabled her to bring her the knowledge of God. So the woman saith in John 4.11, the woman saith unto him, sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, the well's deep, whence are you gonna have the living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, drank himself thereof, and his children and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water, thirst again. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, never thirst. The water that I'll give him will be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Very strange words. A well inside springing up, everlasting life, living water. He used the same tactic when the disciples came back. And he says, I have some meat you don't know about. Same thing about the well, the water. I got, you know, I get to God, you don't know. I well, meat you don't know. And then so that his disciples said, they asked him the question, has any man brought him to eat? Where's the secret meat? You know? And he says, then the question opens up. He says, okay, I have my meat is to do the will of God, the will of him that sent me to finish his work. And then he goes on and he says, don't say there's four months to the harvest. This is right now. Look, they're white, ready to harvest. So all of that is designed by him as a setup to elicit the question. One time there was a Christian, and he was studying the chapter 6 of Romans. Very impressed with it. And that's the reason why God gave to Abraham this strange name of Isaac of laughter so that people would say, what do you mean his name is laughter? God's design. His name should be laughter. Awaken the question. But the name of laughter or Isaac or Yitzhak was not just to awaken a question in the lost. The name of laughter was also to awaken in Abraham and Sarah a great joy. This chapter is a chapter of joy. It's a celebration, a big party, as we see here, a great joy of what? The birth of Isaac was to wake up 
in Abraham and Sarah this great joy of what Isaac represented. Isaac's birth represented the first step towards the goal of the covenant that God had made with Abraham. What's a covenant? A covenant is a personal pledge. That's what the covenant is. It was, Sir Abraham. It was a personal pledge by God that he was putting himself, God was putting himself on the line. He said, I'm going to do this. And what was the pledge? We already saw it. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. This is the Lord said to Abraham when he told him to leave. He said, I'm going to go to a land that I'll show you. I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you. Make your name great. You'll be a blessing. I'll bless them that bless thee. And I'll curse them that curse you. And all the families of the earth be blessed. So the covenant is a land. It's a land of Israel. 1948, when Israel became a nation, this is a ragtag army without weapons against millions of Arab enemies and the British with weapons. And it's a miracle. It was God making good on his personal pledge promise from Genesis 12, where he says, a land. And then he says, a great nation so that the land was not just some uninhabited land, but here comes the Jewish people and they're coming from Europe and from Russia and from the US and they become a nation among the nations. Wasn't that Netanyahu's book? I think it was called that. A nation among the nations. You go to the airport and you see these planes with all these different flags on America and South Africa and so forth and then all of a sudden comes in the Star of David and it's thrilling. It's a nation among the nations. And he says, and then a blessing. He said, I will bless you. And how is it that the Jewish people are so successful, whether in business or science or arts, there's only one explanation. It's the blessing of God. And then they said, the role of being a blessing. The Lord Jesus Christ, all the apostles, the disciples, all were Jewish. And they all brought the greatest blessing of the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ to the world a promise to bless those who bless the Jewish people. America has enjoyed the blessing of God because they've stood with the Jewish nation, at least up until now. And then a promise to curse the Jewish people. Countries who have turned their hand against the Jewish people experience a curse of God. There's almost like a resounding vacuum as far as the knowledge of God goes in some of these countries. But the greatest promise was that all the families of the earth would be blessed. What is the greatest need of all the families of the earth? The greatest need of all the families of the earth is to be saved from their sins, to have an eternal family, to have an eternal life, to have an eternal home in heaven after death, to have peace with God, to be friends with God. That's the greatest need. So through Abraham, the Lord Jesus Christ comes. He's the blessing to all the families of the earth. That's the ultimate goal of this promise, this personal pledge Abrahamic covenant that God made, the coming of the Messiah to save the world, the Lord Jesus Christ, God in human form. So the birth of Isaac is the first step. It's the first step toward fulfilling this covenant, and it's a cause for great joy. And so in verse 3, when Abraham called the name of his son Isaac, it's for the purpose of a celebration, a celebration that God had begun to fulfill the purpose, the promise, the goal of giving the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. After Abraham is named a son, we now see in verse 4, and Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, as God had commanded him. So we see Abraham here circumcising Isaac when he's eight days old. And what's the reason why he did that? It's told that. As God had commanded him in verse 4. (music) 
another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. You're invited to join the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California for the second annual Taste of Creation Benefit Dinner and Silent Auction. It's Saturday, June 4th at 6.30 p.m. This benefit dinner is in support of the Life and Light Foundation Ministries of the Creation and Earth History Museum, Israel Restoration Ministries, and the Friendship with God Radio Ministry. Come experience a fantastic food-themed night at the Creation Museum, and we'll have great guest speakers with Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor and Dan Sered, director of Israel's Jews for Jesus. We'll have an amazing night of auction items, so if you would like to attend, or if you're a local business or person that would like to donate and sponsor with a product or service in support of the Creation Museum auction on Saturday, June 4th at 6.30 p.m., then call us with your support or to reserve a seat. 619-599-1104. 619-599-1104. Or creationsd.org. Creationsd.org.